Hey, you're listening to Tech Talks with Lou, and I'm Lou Temlett. I hope you're having a good day, and I'm really thankful for you listening. So this is Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. Last week, I spoke with Victor Chen, a real martial artist and modern day philosopher. We spoke about building a strong foundation in any field and not always being focused on the end result and life and business not being a quick fix. If you haven't already listened, head back after this episode and let me know what you think. My guest today has worked in the film industry for 20 plus years, worked with hundreds of producers and writers and directors. Whilst directing a first-run cinema and a film school in Miami Beach, Florida, she developed a feature film competition that led to filmmakers competing for a $200,000 prize. Now, today, she helps filmmakers raise funds and get their film and projects distributed globally. I would very much like to welcome to my podcast, Joanne Butcher. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Lou. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Just ready for 2022. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, This is my very first podcast of 2022, episode 11. And I'm very pleased to have you here today, Joanne, to talk about technology and the film industry. Now, I want to take you back to some of your early days and why you feel that technology has benefited you in the filmmaking industry. Where did it all begin? (laughs) Well, um, one story I like to tell is when I was a very, very young child, uh, I used to have dreams. And in my dreams, I would see cowboys and Indians. I was always an Indian. And in my dreams, the Indians always won. And at the end of the dream, there would be big letters across the screen saying, the end. (laughs) (laughs) So I was literally dreaming in film as a very, very young child. And um, I guess I always saw the world that way. I saw the world in terms of story, you know, and obviously given that in my dreams, the Indians won, I must also have been really committed to telling stories a bit differently than they had always been told. Yes. (laughs) Because I don't think I ever saw a movie where the Indians won. (laughs) You know, so um, I'm very interested in storytelling um, from a new perspective. And that new perspective is really about voices that haven't been heard very much in the past, whether that's uh, stories by women or or more from a female perspective or from minorities or from anybody whose story hasn't been told in the past. And then my other early encounter with technology was I I found a a book to um, teach yourself typing when I was about eight. And I sat in a room and taught myself how to type. And years later, when I came across my first computer, that's really what I thought of it for. I thought of it for, oh, something about typing. I thought, oh, yep. this computer is something about typing. <laughs> <laughs> and my first computer I got to use was an, a very early Mac. I want to say that it was an Apple IIe. Uh, it was this kind of boxy thing. That, you know, yep. um, 
and uh and i i just thought of it as a being about um art because back in those days uh you didn't use an apple if you were trying to run an office you used an apple if you were an artist that's really Absolutely. how we saw it you know yeah. and people laughed at us you know and then uh with some friends we started a a cinema and a film school an independent cinema and a film school and we started the business uh using all apple computers and really back in um i think we well we started the officially started the cinema we'd already been doing stuff before that but we officially started the cinema and the film school in 1990 and everything was on apple computers and people literally laughed at us and I, wow. I i just think it's so amazing i just heard yesterday um apple is a some hundred trillion dollar business but back then it was this um very small group of artists who were interested in what we would now call digital technology um, had to offer artists and in our case, specifically filmmakers. Yes. Uh, all my friends were artists, we were um, filmmakers, musicians, storytellers, and we were all interested in new technology. All my musician friends were interested in what's called new music, um, very interested in sound, soundscape, sound design. I just got uh, was on the Facebook page of one yesterday, Gustavo Matamoros, who started this whole new music thing in Miami. Um, and so for whatever reason, I I've always been interested in what is the latest in technology and what is the latest in technology that can be applied to storytelling. Later in life, I literally moved to San Francisco just to be closer to the new technology. And I ended up leaving my world that I was used to of nonprofits um, to I ended up working for uh, YouTube. And, um, you know, I would get to go down to Google and YouTube and my eyes would be like this. I'm like, oh, my God. I <laughs> <laughs> then all my friends had already left long before and come mm. to San Francisco and were working in technology. And I always told myself that I didn't have that. You know, I think if I had been five years younger, maybe I would have. Um, but I always thought somehow that that wasn't my path. Um, but it's certainly... Um, what I love and I, I keep very, very abreast of anything to do with technology as anybody who works in film has to. Yes. I mean, it, it absolutely fills my heart to hear you talk about creativity and technology and combining them together. You know, I remember using my first Mac. Um, it was a bit of a conflict, actually, in the kind of mid to late 80s at school. But I'd already, you know, been immersed in, um, you know, computers personal computers, um, you know, from uh, age three and coding. So it felt very um, out there to be using an Apple uh, Macintosh for creativity when I was so intrinsically embedded in logic and code. <laughs> but um, it's, you know, that that's been my journey. But, you know, it it's wonderful to hear 
that, you know, even during my university years, you know, working in, you know, film and sound and the things that you're talking about now, all of the machines at university were Macs, but I was still at conflict for using PCs at home. And I still do. But um, your journey sounds amazing. And to be immersed in in that technology, even though that wasn't your core, it was the storytelling and filmmaking, um, just sounds like a wonderful partnership, but one that has a foundation as well as, you know, inspiring that creativity. So tell me a bit more about your filmmaking, Jan. Well, I started out uh, filmmaking. Sorry, I moved to Miami. I was from London, but I moved moved to Miami because um, London felt to me as though I was on the outside, even though I was a Londoner. And it felt to me as though, you know, if I wanted to work in the arts in London, maybe I would get to sweep the floor of a theatre you know, um, but only if I stood in line behind 20 other people who wanted to sweep the floor at the theater. That's really how yeah. I saw yeah. it. And when I moved to Miami, I went there to uh, do a master's degree in English literature. And my first week there, uh, one of my colleagues who was a poet said, oh, do you want to come to this um, new music event? And I'm like, I don't know what new music is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I don't have any money. And he said, well, would you be willing to volunteer? And I said, well, what would they want me to do? And they said, um, well, you know, put out the chairs or something. It and wasn't said, sweep the floor, so that was okay. <laughs> it was about the same as sweep the floor. But somebody asked me to go and sweep the floors, which I was amazed, you know. So I went, I put out my chairs, and I sat at my first new music concert and, and got basically involved in avant-garde art is really what that is, I suppose. I don't know if people even use the word avant-garde anymore. But um, avant-garde artists and um, – this little group of artists in um, Miami were tapped in on a national and international level at in this very tiny avant-garde world. And we started um, showing films at a local bookstore. Books and Books is still around. Um, and we would uh, set up projectors and show avant-garde films. Jean-Luc Godard is one name that people might know. And then um, we ended up starting this cinema. And I was making my own films at the time. Um, I started out in Super 8 and then switched to video when that became a thing. And then um, when I began, uh, when I started a film organization, we, uh, we had a cinema and we um, also were interested in filmmaking. And the cinema, the first year that we ran the cinema, I wasn't running it, somebody else was running it, and was still showing avant-garde films and basically ran the organization into the ground. And um, the person who ended up taking over realized that um, this person owed money to every single film company in the country, except for one. And there was one com little tiny distribution company that showed gay films. And uh, this the, the chair of the board happened to be gay. And so he started renting films from the only company that we didn't owe money to. And it turned out that in Miami back in 1985, 86, um, there was no gay 
anything. There were, you, if you were gay, you went to a bar and there wasn't anything else. There was no cultural offerings. Whereas yeah. say in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, that had been going on for maybe 20, 30 years. So we became the first organization in Miami Beach to show any gay art form. And our cinema became packed every single night. And so the gay community really were what saved the organization. But it also happened to be at this moment historically where gay artists were finding their voice. And so we ended up showing films by um, incredible artists who are now, you know, big names in Hollywood, but back then were making their first films and speaking from a voice that had never been heard before. And we started with um, the, the later work of Jarek. Derek Jarman, who's a British filmmaker, and then started moving to the early work of artists like Todd Haynes, who's huge now in Hollywood. But, you know, as a very young man, his his first films um, were, in fact, he had one film which we, we showed on slides wow. with a slide projector. Mm. Um, and that, that ended up turning into uh, one of his first films. But, you know, Every filmmaker is always somebody experimenting with technology. And so at the time, we were showing films on 35 millimeter with 35 millimeter projectors. And we also, during that 10 years, um, from 1990 to 2000, made the switch over to digital. But I remember, like, I had raised some money uh, to have a an, an LGBT leadership program where the participants used film as a tool for leadership development. And I did I did a lot of things like that. Um, I did I raised money for uh, children with cancer to use storytelling through film to help with their recovery. I all these different things that I did. But um, this one program, we ended up with these fabulous um, little films, short, short pieces um, by the filmmakers. And one day somebody called me up and told me that I was homophobic because I wasn't showing the films in the cinema. And I was trying to explain to him that when you have short digital pieces, but then you have a 35 millimeter film, uh. Uh, our projectionists were trained on the 35 millimeter film, but they weren't trained on the digital video projection. And to be able to do digital video projection and to do 35 in one session, we couldn't yep. do it. Technologically speaking, we couldn't do it. And I remember talking to this man yelling at me because I was homophobic because I, I wouldn't show our LGBT participants short films. I had created the program, raised the money, <laughs> taught the people, you know. Goodness. So, so, <clears throat> but, the, but there are always these um, edges that you, you, you step into when you are at the cutting edge of technology. Yeah. And um, being able to go with the flow of the frustration when you're in a place of experimentation and you're limited by either the technology or the money to have the technology that you want. I think that's something that I've really learned to manage over the years. Yeah. And I think the creativity, you know, when you're thinking creatively, 
kind of supersedes any technology. And then there is the frustration. I absolutely remember, you know, having dreams and ideas and trying to manifest things, but technology was holding me back. So I completely echo with, with what you're saying there and the frustration that others might have around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another person, well, <laughs> why can't you, it's a film, show it, you know, and it, 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 we, but, you know, and today, um, I don't know, you know, we, we, even by 2000, you know, we would have kids come in and um, I would show them the projection booth and they didn't know what a projector was in 19. Wow. They didn't know, they already didn't know what film was. And um, though, but, but those two technologies are very, very different, mm. very, very different. And, and, you know, one is mechanical. Yes. One is mechanical, you know, and there are things that go into holes that move the uh, which is I'm, I'm just thinking a dot matrix printer from from the old days if you're not into film then it's the the printing aspect that you needed the little holes in the paper yes. to feed it through <laughs> the paper forward yeah and so yeah going from mechanical to digital that was a big thing you know and you know now I don't think I don't think anybody would would. Well, I guess now we've sort of come full circle because now we can have three D printers and things like that. So we've sort of gone back to we can do the mechanical via digital. But um, yeah, it's it's been a journey. And you know, one of the things that I did at one point was I raised money and we spent sixty thousand dollars on a really nice edit suite and. Um, it took me about two or three years to put that money together and buy that edit suite. And in the year after we bought it, um, Final Cut Pro or Final Cut, I guess it wasn't Final Cut Pro then, Final Cut came out and you could buy an edit suite, personal edit suite for three to $5,000. Yeah. And I just remember looking at that $60,000 edit suite and thinking, should I just throw it out the window, you know? because all this time and effort had gone in and the technology, um, the speed of the technology overtook yeah. us, you know, and, but wow, what a magical thing that filmmakers could sit down at their own computer and start making films. And that had never happened before. So that was somewhere um, around 1998, 99, 2000, something like that. 2001 yep. that 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 really changed and still you know it might have been out of a lot of people's grasp financially um but it's just got gotten cheaper and cheaper and cheaper so now you know i can make a film yeah right. I, I remember at university we were immersed in all the latest technology and the equipment and uh so you know final cut or not final cut pro but those were some of the software pieces that i was using in the late 90s so absolutely mm -hmm. resonate with what you're saying yeah, yeah. It just suddenly the price. I mean, who can afford sixty thousand dollars to down to about six? Yeah, is is something that people could reach, you know, or or people who had maybe uh, invested in really good cameras now might switch to investing in an edit suite, and and so that was a huge, huge shift that happened to put the power of making a film into the hands of the individual. Mm. 
Can you talk to me a bit about your current projects and um, your support that you give to filmmakers for funding? Because whilst they may have the creative ideas, they may not have the business knowledge and, and the ability to fundraise for their projects. So tell me a bit more about that. Yes. Well, so when I was running the film school um, and we provided classes so people could learn sound and uh whatever they needed to learn about making films. But when I, what I learned was that once you um, get to a certain point, and basically for me, the shift is between making short films and making your first feature, that really what the gap was, what was missing was money, access to money. Um, and again, this goes back to what I was saying, that I'm very interested in hearing new voices tell their stories. Um, and those same voices have less access to money. So um, what I realized was that finding the money was really the most important, even though for any filmmaker, it's never going to seem to be the most important thing. For them, it's the storytelling, it's the creativity, and so on. But for me, I'm like, nope, it's the money, because if there's no money, there's no film. Or or you can get to a certain point, but you can't get any further, basically, yeah. is what it is. One of my favorite directors, John Sayles, said um, after his first feature, he realized he was either going to have to learn how to raise money or get a new set of friends. Because <laughs> you, you can only get people to do things for free yeah. for so long. So yeah. there's, there's going to be a, a wall that's going to hit where you're going to need money. And um, I talk to filmmakers all the time and they'll be saying, well, you know, I'm, I save up and I pay for my films. And I'm like, well, you know, it'll only get you so far. Yeah. Or, or somebody uh, recently, I have a client who put her life savings into her first film and now her life savings are gone. And now she doesn't have the money to make another film. So this issue about finding money is really central. So with my filmmakers, even if they're super beginners and I have I have every type of filmmaker from super beginners to uh, I have a client who runs a film school. I have a client who is on about his 10th feature film, you know, has made series. I have a client in South Africa who's made several television series, but eventually they're going to have to learn how to raise money. You know, it, it feels so like having, having the passion, you know, it doesn't get you as far as you need to go, you know, however much you 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 want to do things on your own. Yeah. So you know, yeah. the, but but the thing is, is that filmmakers think that they really are not good at the business side, and often one of the big fantasies they have is they're going to find somebody else who knows about the business and the money, and they're going to take care of it for them. But I'm really not into that. I'm into the idea of let's have you learn how to do this. And what really happens that filmmakers are absolutely shocked about is that. When they apply their creativity to the business, they do really well, you yeah. know. So fundraising is essentially storytelling to get money. And so uh, and fundraising is based on being able to tell your story, being able to build a relationship and being able to engage in what I call the numbers. So if if I call 100 people to ask for money, I'm going to get less money than if I call 200 people. And then the next level really is what systems can we put in place so that you can call 200 people? 
because I can't call 200 people. But if we have some systems in place, maybe we can. And that's where technology comes in on the fundraising side, because um, again, I start my clients off with um, making 50 phone calls and they're always shocked, but they're like, okay, I'm going to do it. Um, but once we expand beyond that, where do we go? So um, there are, from my perspective, there are seven kinds of fundraising and each of those types requires its own systems and its own technology. And so all of these pieces are can be mastered. So my beginner filmmakers, maybe we start out raising ten, eleven, twelve thousand dollars with a crowdfunding campaign, you know, and back before crowdfunding happened in the 80s, I guess, which was originally started by the woman who who started Indiegogo. She wanted to raise some money for uh, some friends who were musicians, you know, and before that, we couldn't raise money like that. You know, if you wanted to raise money from small donors, you had to do a bake sale or do a raffle or something like that. So crowdfunding was another revolution. And it was a revolution legally and technologically speaking. And being that there's a template on a computer and you fill in the template and ask people for money and you and and the law has had to catch up with that. The law before it wasn't even legal to do that, but the law had to catch up with the technology that was put in place. So we can now, as individuals, we can raise money. And so with my beginners, we start with ten, eleven thousand dollars, twelve thousand dollars to make their first short film. And then with my more advanced clients, we're working in all the seven types of fundraising and building those systems to keep increasing bringing in income in all of those seven areas. And so um, it's a lot of that that expansion that you want to do from being a short filmmaker to being a feature filmmaker to making multiple features to making series, that is all to me an expansion in terms of building your fundraising muscle. Do you think there's a there's a foundation to get right at the lower levels first, or could you launch into something more bigger scale? What what's your experience in that? Wow, that is such a fantastic question because um, at the lower level, at the lower scale, what I find is that filmmakers have to learn to tell the story, and they don't know how to do it. So my current clients I'm thinking of, you know, I have a client who, uh, I don't want to say the name of her film because it'll sound like I'm putting it down. But anyway, she has a, a title of her film, which is so abstract, there's nothing you can tell from from the title. So, you know, if I say, um, um, watch, you know, well, actually, watch is more specific. If I say, uh, <laughs> I don't know, comb or something, comb doesn't tell me anything about what this film is about doesn't tell me anything. So until we can start to speak more precisely and specifically to people so that they know, oh, I'm making a film about um, memory loss in uh, seniors, right? Now we're starting to go, so people go, oh, I'm interested in memory loss in seniors, or alternatively, I'm not interested in memory loss for seniors, right? So we, we start a process of learning how to, what in the business world we call marketing, and in my world we call storytelling. How do we tell the story of my film? 
you know, of my project, of what I'm doing, what my vision is as a filmmaker. That's the first step because and here's another another client of mine. When I first met her on Clubhouse, she was talking about her film. She said, oh, I'm making a film about my uncle and, you know, I really want to make this film. And everybody was being very kind and like, what about your uncle? <laughs> She's like, well, you know, he's a coach. Okay. Uh, what's he a coach in? <laughs> you know? And finally she yeah. said, basketball and then a bunch of people like basketball i love basketball (laughs) (laughs) the the key came in the end (laughs) now you know she's fantastic at pitching and she says you know i have uh my uncle is a basketball player and coach in the hall of fame in arkansas and i'm making a film about his work uh you know so it gets totally clear yeah everybody who's listening um what she's trying to do you know so is it just a case of being able to tell the story so that people understand you so that you can then start asking for money is is that kind of what you're trying to once we can be clear we're making a film about a basketball player and coach who's in the hall of fame in arkansas now we start narrowing down to who can we ask we're going to be asking people who are interested in sports, interested in basketball, interested in Arkansas, interested in coaching. So we're starting to define our audience. And it comes from, I like to say, from the title. You know, if we yep. we can start, you know, if we call it um, Arkansas basketball. <laughs> yes. Everybody, oh, you know, if I'm interested in basketball in Arkansas, I'm in. You know, I, um, I get it. My my mind's going to algorithms and hashtags and keywords uh, now. I'm like, yeah. it's the same narrative, whether it's filmmaking or social media or technology. It's having those keywords, isn't it? Yes. So that you can start to drive your niche, because I think one of the really most amazing things that the Internet has given us is the power of the niche. You know, and I remember telling her at the beginning, well, we, but we got to start by getting the people in Arkansas interested. She's like, yeah, but I want everybody. Yes, I know that. <laughs> but we're going to start with Arkansas. Yes. We're going to start with the people who are so excited about this project and want to be involved in this project. You know, right now I'm working with a client who we're working on a major proposal, which is about African-Americans in science. And um, so as soon as I say that, I'm sure that you start, you, you know, yep. when, when when somebody tells me their film, there's a part of my brain, it's up here on the right, and it starts looking at a budget and thinking about where the money comes from. Yes. You know, and what happens in your brain is about is on that marketing side. And so how do we get the word out that we are working on a project that looks at African-Americans and the lack of African-Americans in science. Yep. Now, in a funding sense, that means we can start looking at foundations interested in that topic, individual donors interested in that topic, corporations interested in that topic. Um, we can look at uh, grants that are available uh, and we can look at sales because there are some 
platforms that are going to be really interested in that project. And there are some platforms that wouldn't be interested in that project. And that's fine. But we just don't want to waste our energy going after the ones that are not interested. And we go uh, spend our energy going for the ones that are, you know. (laughs) But for any niche, there is an audience for that. And technology is what has given us the possibility of finding and reaching that niche and finding the people who want to see this film, who are going to benefit from seeing this film. And so that's a very interestingly difficult thing for filmmakers when they're first starting out because they're thinking about, well, I'm a creative and I want to tell my story which is kind of, I think of that as being 1.0. Yep. And then 2.0 is I'm going to find the people who need to hear my story. Yeah. And so that that is that next step to be able to share it with the people who, who want to see it. I'm inspired already. It sounds like, you know, my, my brain's gone into logic mode and go, hmm, there's a formula here. There's a process. And actually, it sounds really simple. But combining that with the creativity and, you know, uh, the kind of fun aspect and wanting to move things forward quickly, because I guess in this industry, maybe that there's a lot of energy and wanting to move very quickly. But what's your perception? Of- I want to move. <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand i think film film is really the fastest industry i've never seen anything move the way that the speed that film moves because yeah. when you're making a film uh, even if you have a small budget let alone if you have a large budget but they all have to be working in conjunction with each other and i really think you know probably in the past opera was the most complex art form, but now for sure it's film. Um, So in film, uh, what works is when you have, you've got to have your actors working and your writing working and your sound working and your music. And it's not only being able to handle all of those components, but having them work together harmoniously is is an incredible thing. And then what I'm basically suggesting to filmmakers is alongside all of those things, we're also going to bring in harmoniously all the issues about money and business and marketing. And they are not separate. They are not different. But most filmmakers, when they come to me, they have put a line often in their own selves between these things, you know, And, and yet filmmakers bring all these skills to the table and once they realize oh but wait a minute marketing and producing and raising money and all those things are part of the process then they can apply their creativity to all those processes including the tech the technology at the at the most extreme end you know sound editing and vfx and um, you know all of these pieces but they can all be blended together harmoniously without having to sort of split ourselves. So having said that, do your the filmmakers that you coach and support, mm-hmm. are they just individuals? Can an individual do uh, produce a film and do all of these other things at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, definitely. And I have, I, as I said, you know, I, I do my own um, 
version of a podcast. It's called The Filmmaker's Life. And I interview filmmakers and ask them how they built their careers. And what we can see from this is that the, there are no two. There's no no similarity between one filmmaker and another. Yeah. None. And um, and there, there are reasons for that, um, partly because um, often when filmmakers set out on their building their careers, they really don't know what the path is. And they're going here and there and here and there. And, you know, one of my clients said I saved him seven years. I don't know when he came up with the number of seven years, but... <laughs> When you're trying this and trying that and doing a little bit instead of having a clear path and a focus on that path and a path to follow, which is really what I help filmmakers do, is define what that path is. Um, it, you, you you know, you can just be all over the place. You know, I, I remember I had this, this client who um, worked in news. And when he came to me, he was like, well, you know, I've been working in news so that I can uh, learn how to be a filmmaker. But in our in our work together, it turned out he is uh, really interested in comedy. So what's he doing in a news station? You know, (laughs) Uh, it just it, it doesn't you know. So but once he got clear about what his path was, then he could, you know, take off and move and move forward. And um so one of the things that I do when I when I meet a new potential client is we have a conversation. I call it a, a filmmaker success breakthrough session. And we just get some clarity on where they want to end up. You know, if we know where you want to end up, then we can kind of reverse engineer that and come back to here. And then and then my next question is, okay, if we start here, how much money do we need to do it and where are we going to find yeah. that money? So if any of my listeners are interested in making their own film, um, how can they get hold of you, Joanne? Oh, well, there are many ways. Um, On social media, I'm always at Joanne Film, J-O-A-N-N-E Film. And um, and then my uh, business is called Filmmaker Success. So my website is www.filmmakersuccess.com and uh, I do a lot of free uh, things so even the people who don't have the money yet to pay me but my interest is <laughs> teaching you how to get money yes, um, yes. but I do a lot of I do a lot of free things but um, but basically when I start working with my clients Wow. I I like to say the train has left the station and we are off. And (laughs) my focus to them is we are raising money. And usually I like to have my clients start having money coming in within three months. Uh, The the fastest I think I can honestly say, oh, this client started getting this money in was in about two weeks. But it's to do with changing um, some thinking and changing some systems. This yeah. sounds really weird in the, where are we in the 21st century? But um, I start by looking at my clients' resumes and some of them are like, well, I haven't looked at my resume in years. Hmm. And I look at their resume and their resume is not selling them. And so we're back to the marketing and the technology. Yep. So we spruce up their resume, you know, and I have this one client, she was so young, she came to me and she was um, living in LA and she was doing a little PA job. That's kind of the lowest level job on the film set. 
And she was doing some little PA jobs. And I said, well, you know, let's fix up your resume. So we fix up her resume. And um, I got her a job interview, which she turned down. And a couple of years later, she's working full time at HBO. Thank you very much. Wow. And so all we did was work on her resume. You Fabulous. know, actually tell people what it was that she wanted to do. Um, you know, and uh, I remember years ago, I was at the University of Miami English Department doing a master's degree in English. And we used to get to teach, you know, and everybody wanted to be teaching literature and composition. And somebody one point in time said, well, we need somebody to teach a business writing class. And I'm like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was when I started to see you can change people's lives by fixing their resume. Yes. <laughs> One day I was walking down Lincoln Road in Miami Beach and this guy comes running out at me. Yes, Butcher, Miss Butcher. I'm like, I'm like, oh. and uh, he, he said, I want you to meet my mother. <laughs> so this restaurant and his mother's sitting there. He said, I want you to meet Miss Butcher. She's the one. Oh my God, it brings tears to my eyes. She's the one who helped me become a lawyer. And have a, a career. Wow. He was in my remedial English class. He was in my Goodness. remedial English class. He was failing out of university. Joanne, I'm so inspired by what you've shared today. You know, if anyone out there wants to produce uh, their own film and raise funding, uh, Joanne is the person to speak to. Um, so, what's coming up in 2022 for you, Joanne? Well, I'm really thrilled uh, that 2022 is here because I can't wait to get started. But, um, you know, talking about technology and systems, really 2021 for me was about building technology so that I have a foundation for my business and then also developing clarity about a formula. You know, I was asked the question, you do have a methodology, don't you? I was like, do I? Because it feels as though every client that I have is so different from another and everybody's film is different from another. And I thought, well, I don't know, but but I figured it out. And so I call it the film box office success formula and that there are seven steps in the word success, S-U-C-C-E-S-S. And we we need to go through those seven steps in order for a filmmaker to be successful. So right now what I'm doing is I've built the foundation. I'm taking my clients through the seven steps. And the goal is that we end up, uh, if it's a short film, it takes three months. If it's a feature, it takes a year to get to the point where we're delivering that feature film to a distributor. And that for me is the end goal for filmmakers. That's usually not the end goal. They have other end goals that are a waste of time, but the end, real end goal is getting <laughs> a film into distribution. So you can make money. So you can make more films. Right? Yes. I, I think in my mind, it was like, okay, you make a film, but the distribution bit that we haven't really spoken about, uh, maybe on another podcast is the, is the end goal. That's what yeah. you've got to do to get your film out there to start making money. Because this is the way I think it's important to say it to artists, because artists have their soul in a project. And so they think when we're talking about making money, that somehow that is soulless. But this is what I would like to say. If we have clarified 
we have a story and we know who we're talking to about that story. Not everyone, right? We've defined our niche and our market. Then if we're actually being successful with getting our film to the people who want to see it, that will result in money. It's kind of a byproduct, but if we are actually getting the film to the people who need to see it, we will be making money. So distribution is the goal. And most filmmakers out there are just floundering around with, well, you know, I want to get my film in film festivals or I want to get my film on Netflix, but they really have no idea what they really mean. When I, I, I translate film filmmakers speak, <laughs> what they really mean is <laughs> I want distribution and I want people to see my film and I want people to pay money to see my film so I can make another film. That's my translation of filmmaker speak. (laughs) And I think, you know, that, that formula and methodology can be applied to any area of business or technology. It's about being able to distribute your skills and abilities to then gain revenue. So for me, it completely resonates in the tech world. So I, I very much thank you for, for sharing that nuggets of information yeah and and the tech world is what provides us the distribution you know um it's very rare that a filmmaker i mean perhaps this three million dollar project will end up being in a theater on a 35 millimeter projector but that is rare in today's world yeah very very rare so mostly we're in the digital world We're making digital content for digital platforms to reach audiences using technology. You know, thank you for your work, (laughs) you know, in in helping with that, because it's just not right for great storytellers to be held up by a little bit of technology. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me today, Joanne, and uh, I look forward to connecting with you again soon. And anyone that wants to connect with Joanne, um, at Joanne Film, and the details will be in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. I look forward to having you listening in again for the next episode. And if you would love to be a guest talking to me about your tech trials or successes, please do drop me a DM.